0: Great to be here with you this weekend. Uh, Before we get started, I want you to be able to exhale because it was prayed that we're talking about money this morning and we're not. All right, so everyone. All right. We're starting a new series. It's called Keys to a Blessed Life. We're going to be looking at stewardship differently than maybe you're used to looking at it. Uh, And the messages we're looking at over the next four weeks has been influenced by four studies in the small circle, one-on-one discipleship uh, material that we use here at Crosswinds as part of our discipleship pathway. See, Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things he said will be added to you, all these things. Simply put, place God's kingdom first and the Lord will take care of us. Putting God's kingdom first is, is to be the rule of life in ordering the priorities of our life. And however, we, would, we would, wouldn't be going at it rightly if the way that we did it was to put God first and then, you know, family second. Maybe you've seen that, that chart, right? And then, and then, you know, your work and, and whatever, and you sort of list it down and down and down. Uh, it, it's not necessarily, but that's not entirely accurate. Uh, it, it's just not. It, the reality of it is if we live life that way, then we find ourselves segmenting God and we're saying well you're first and then we sort of go about these other things in our own way in our own power and I don't know about you but when it says seek first the kingdom of God it seems to me but it's really clear that we're to seek God first in every relationship we have every responsibility we have every moment of every day and so for me when I look at the picture it's it's God right in the middle of everything And saturating my my own personal space, my family, my neighborhood, you know, the place where I work, the place where maybe I go to school, that that as I go throughout the day that God gets first place in everything, not meaning that he's first and I do these other things, but that he's first in everything that I do. Instead, when we think about this, uh, the verse really calls us to commit ourselves to find and to do the will of God by following the spirit of God. In all things. This commitment comes first. And when we put God's kingdom first, then he will bless us with with heavenly treasures, with divine rest and fulfillment. As we know him and as we make him known. When we come to Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior, uh, the most fundamental choice we make is to place God first in our life. And every single moment after that, every single day after a person receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the believer's life reinforces that decision or denies it. The the way we act, the the, the way that we respond, our our motives, our, our attitudes, our actions, what we will discover in this is that mostly it's not an issue of material things. Mostly, it's not an issue of physical things. At the very core, it's about soul care. It's, it's a spiritual thing. And God's world holds the keys to a genuinely blessed life. Now, let me define blessed life because the world sees it differently. In fact, when you think of a blessed life, my guess is you got a picture in your mind already. Maybe it had to do with winning a lottery. <laughs> maybe it had to do with a life without chaos. Well, a blessed life is not a life of ease. It's not a life void of difficulty or necessarily a life with abundant worldly wealth. When the scripture speaks of a blessed life, that's not what the scripture typically speaks of. A blessed life is a life overflowing with heavenly treasure, with divine rest and fulfillment as we know God and make him known. So we're going to be looking at four keys. In Scripture, there's many keys to living a blessed life. But but one of the keys, and the first one we're going to look at, key number one, is God must increase and I must decrease. If I'm going to live a blessed life in Christ, then the Lord must increase in my life and I must decrease. You may recall in John's gospel, the third chapter, uh, John's disciples are a little upset. They had been following John the baptizer, and John has been preaching this message of the kingdom of God is near, and repent, he's baptizing people into repentance, and and all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. And and as Jesus comes on the scene, the, the large crowds that John had began to diminish, and the crowds that Jesus had began to grow, and so the disciples of John basically are saying, why is this startup getting all the people? And John tells us in John 3.30, he says, listen, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. John recognizes the importance of Christ being magnified and not himself being magnified. He's he's speaking of surrender. It's an issue of surrender. See, Christ's followers yield their lives to Christ and submit to him as Lord, the, the supreme authority in their life, by knowing Him, walking with him, and, and making him known. And this occurs as the Spirit empowers us and leads us. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we, we see a couple of statements in dealing with the Spirit in our relationship with Him. Uh, one is keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, and the other is walking by the Spirit. Now what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? What does it really mean to walk in the spirit? Well, keeping in step or walking in the Spirit implies a conscious dependence on God. A conscious dependence on God. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> I would have to say that one of the struggles I have in my life is making sure that I'm consciously reminding myself that I'm dependent on Jesus. You may recall the Lord's words. He, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And then he says this, apart from me, you can do Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if we truly understand that, then each and every step of our day will be dependent on him, right? And yet, how easy is it to go through the day and not be mindful of that? How easy is it in my day to to, to think, God, I need you in the big things. (laughs) Ever been there? But I know you're busy. I I don't need you in the small things. And yet Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he didn't mean nothing in the sense of you can't accomplish things. He meant if you want something that has divine inspiration, if you want something that has that miracle worker touch that we sang about earlier in this service, if you want something that's going to eternally make a difference, then Jesus has to not only be a part of it, but we have to be a part of him, dependent upon him. Since the Spirit is to be our source of power, life, joy, and freedom, then keeping in step means being aware of his presence and following his lead. And we discover that when believers keep in step with the Holy Spirit, we experience a deeper dimension in our walk with God, a a deeper dimension in him and a, and a, a greater ability to reflect him to the world around us. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Romans 6, 6 through 7 We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. The power of sin has been broken in the life of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. You should be a lot more excited about that this morning, by the way. (laughs) I know it's early, it's cold outside, but... But the power of sin has been broken in the life of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. It's important to remember, it's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith that actually saves us. But I want to share with you this morning, because oftentimes we say, Lord, give me stronger faith. Give me greater faith. And the only way for our faith to grow is to remember that our faith isn't from ourselves, it's from God it's, again, not the strength of our faith, it's the object of our faith that not only saves us, but allows us to be sanctified, allows us to become more and more like Jesus. It's not us sort of sitting every morning and saying, today, I'm not going to make a mistake. I mean, that's a good thing, don't get me wrong. Much better than waking up in the morning and saying, today, I'm going to cause havoc, you know? But, but catch this twist, what would it look like every morning if we said, God, I have no ability in of myself to live this day in the day way that you would want me to. In fact, I have no ability in of myself to live this day in the way I want to. But with you, all things are possible. You are my strength. You are my shield. And thank you that if I drop the ball today, you're faithful and just to forgive me and pick me back up, and walk with you. He's the object of our faith. Jesus Christ isn't just some philosophy. He's our savior, our friend. The spirit is our helper. It's not to string our faith, but the object of our faith, that actually saves us. The Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of our own works. I mean, think about it. God loves and forgives and saves us, not because of who we are or what we've done. Isn't that good to know? I've said this over and over again because I've, I've experienced it over and over again. But how many times have, have I talked with someone and they've said to me, I'm not good enough to come to Jesus? I heard the story recently and it it aches my heart of someone who attends our church, has been attending for a while, who doesn't come in here because she says, I'm not good enough. If we're waiting until we're good enough to come to Jesus, we can never come to him. And by the way, if you think you were good enough to come to Jesus, you need to come to Jesus. (laughs) It's not who we are, it's not what we do. It's who Jesus is and what he's done. God is love. And he, he doesn't see you for what you've done. He sees you because you're his child. He sees you because he's manly in love with you. And, and, and you say, how do you know? Because he died for us. And his work on the cross is a finished work. We're, we're, we're born into the world as sinners, ruled by sin. What's that mean? It means that, that it just dominates us. No power over sin. But sin's rule was broken when Christ died for us. We're no longer enslaved to it. Now, does that mean that we don't struggle with it? No, 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 that's not true, right? Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. You know, you say yes to Jesus, and the next day you're like, man, I'm not tempted to do anything bad. <laughs> that would be, I would love that that's not the way it works but you know the power of sin isn't in my life see the wage of sin is death and you know what sin doesn't have that over me anymore Romans 8 1 there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus why because condemnation speaks of fear and I need to fear nothing because my God is with me my eternity is secure in him and therefore, I can live in power. I can, I can live with the hope of Christ in me that, that he can continue this work that, that he began to make me more and more like him. And that the, the, the entanglement of sin can come less and less as I focus more and more on him. Again, this doesn't mean that the believer never sins, but that the tyranny, that the domination, the rule of sin has been defeated in them. And the normal trajectory, the normal trajectory of a life for a Christ follower ought to be becoming more and more like Christ. Therefore, I've got to become less and Jesus has to become more in me. Paul explains it further later, a little further down in the chapter, verse 11. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think this statement is more than a mental exercise, but I think it's that too. I've been... As I've been looking at sharing this message with you, I've been challenged at how few times I've actually not just quoted that verse, but allowed that verse to really marinate in my soul. He says, You also must consider yourselves. That means we should really think about ourselves this way dead to sin and alive in God through Jesus Christ. What we say to ourselves matters, church. I mean, I'm not here to tell you you can do anything you want to do. It's just not true. Like if I right now said I'm going to become an MBA star and I'm going to work really hard at it, what a waste of my time. It's not going to happen. It's not that. But what God says is always true. What he says, I can do, I can do. And when he says I should consider myself dead to sin, what would it look like if, if, if more often we would just say, you know what, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive in God. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive in God. It has no power over me. Lord, increase in my life, help me decrease. Help me be very careful of the words that I speak to myself. I've sat across from people and I've said it myself where they've done something and and they've said, you know what, I just feel like such a loser or even further, I am a loser. And let me tell you something, you have value in Jesus Christ. See, the value of something is determined by what's paid for, what is paid for, what it costs. What did you cost? The very son of God. I mean, that's infinite, right? And so you're valued by God. Paul says, no, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then down in verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I think it's interesting. He says, understand your position in Christ. You're you're dead to sin. You're, You're alive in God. Then he says, present yourself to him. Present yourself to him with this right mindset that says, Lord, the only way that I become more like Jesus is if I'm placing myself in your hands. I can't do this in my own strength. I can't manufacture this. No matter how driven I am, you're the object of my faith. I give you me. Christians must realize that the power of sin has been broken in their lives. The tension surfaces between what God has already accomplished and the responsibility of us to obey. That's the tension. See, in Jesus, I'm already righteous. I I am. I I know that because Paul writes to the Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, so we could be the righteousness of God. So I know I'm already righteous in God, but every day I wanna reflect that righteousness. See, there's the tension, right? I know I'm righteous, but sometimes I just don't act righteously. And so, Lord, help me be focused on you. Help me become less and you become more so that I can reflect you more and more. Uh, A Christian is still tempted by the desires of sin, but must not let those desires gain control because sin is dead in us. Therefore, every single day, every single day, and I would say, not today, we say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. Fill me, use me. More God causes less of ourselves to be in play. Paul shares this to the church in Galatia. He he talks about this essential step. And he writes in Galatians 5.16, he says, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, it's a way of looking at life. He he doesn't say it this way. He doesn't say what? "Don't, Don't gratify the desires of the flesh and then you can walk by the spirit. Did you catch that? He says what? Walk by the Spirit. Then you won't have the desires of the flesh ruling in your life. God first. Isn't that interesting? I think we started with that. God first, and then all these things will be added to you. Focus on me, he says. Let me guide your steps. The only way to conquer the flesh, these sinful desires of our old self before coming to Christ is to yield to the spirit, to walk by the spirit, to to trust him, to give us the direction and empowerment, to live the way he's called us to live. And there's at least two things uh, that need to be true in a believer's life for us to walk in the spirit, to us to truly uh, allow the Lord to become more and us to become less. And the first is this, a believer must grow in the knowledge of Christ, must grow in the knowledge of Christ. It stands to reason that we can't grow to be like someone we don't know. And I believe that the reason that so many believers in the church seem so impotent in their faith is because they said yes to Jesus and didn't, then didn't grow in knowing him. Come on, church. You, you can't become like someone you don't know. And so we've got to be in the word. We, we've got to let the, the word of God begin to, to introduce us to who Jesus really is and what Jesus really looks like. If we want to respond in ways that, that honor the Lord, it makes sense we've got to know the Lord. Knowledge alone, however, won't produce more Christ-like character in us. So the second thing is this. A believer obeys what we know about Christ So we have to have the knowledge of Christ and then what we know of Christ, we need to walk in that. The knowledge we gain from God's word must impact our hearts and and lead us to obey what we've learned. The spirit empowered consequence of knowing and obeying God is that he becomes greater and greater and we become less and less. When When we make decisions and choices according to the Holy Spirit's guiding, we become more and more amazed by Jesus in us. Have you ever had that happen? Ever been in a conflict and you handled it so well you knew it was Jesus? (laughs) I I had a situation with my youngest and it was some time ago and he did something just totally ridiculous. Uh, It's his story. I'm not going to share it. That's how ridiculous it was because I mean, normally my family is open field for a pastor but I'm not even going to go there because that's his story, but. He later said to me, he said, Dad, Dad, thank you for handling it like that. And I said two things to him. I said, Well, you can thank your sister and brother because they were first. And so I've, you can go thank them. I've learned some things. And most importantly, you can thank Jesus because I wanted to kill you. <laughs> Not really. Just. Thank you, Jesus. One victory. Other ones that weren't, one victory. Right I to say, man, God was more, I was less. The Spirit of God uses the word we know, not the word we don't know, to become like Jesus. Therefore, we, we want to be in this word and conforming to the word of God is conforming to Christ. I like what Maya Angelou wrote. She says, do the best you can do until you know better, then when you know better, do better. It's pretty good, isn't it? I think the struggle for believers is they don't know much about Jesus, so they don't know what to do. And so we should be growing in Christ. We should be in his word, and as we know about Jesus, say, Lord, help me do that. And as we know more, guess what? We can do more. Better yet, he can do more through us. The prayer for myself, my family, you as my church family, you've heard me say this before if you've been around here, is, Lord, as we seek to master your word, help your word master us. God's word masters us when we partner with the Holy Spirit as our senior partner to help us understand God's word and and he gives us the power to live by it. The spirit resides in us completely. And so our walk with Christ is never an issue of the spirit being in us, but how much we surrender to the spirit Or as Billy Graham often said, it's not how much of the spirit we have, but how much the spirit has us. Man, that's good. Someday I want to say something that good and it be mine. (laughs) It's not how much of the spirit we have, because as believers, we're filled with the spirit of God, right? Come on, if that doesn't excite you this morning, you're you're, you're a lost (laughs) cause. It's not how much of the spirit of God we have because we have all the spirit of God as believers. But how much does the spirit have us? That's the key. To be full of the spirit speaks of the spirit's full control and influence in our lives. It is impossible for Christ to become greater in my life and me at the same time not become less. It just doesn't work that way. The more of Jesus, the less of me. Now, I want to speak to that for a minute because when I speak of less of us, I don't mean losing our uniqueness. It's one of the things beautiful about the family of God, right? It's not like the more we become like Jesus, the more we sort of become spiritual clones. How boring would that be? It just means that the more of God in me, actually, the more I become the person I was created to be, not the person flawed by sin, the person empowered by my Savior. I, I begin to be able to, to, to have his motives and his attitude and, and it uniquely expressed through the way that he's made me and the way he's made you, and what a beautiful picture that is. See, here's the reality: When the old self died, that final death doesn't happen until Jesus returns or go to see him. So the old self's still in play today. That's that's the reality, right? And and so it's dead. What does it mean it's dead? It has no power over us unless we give it power. Unless we decide to, to fall back into our old patterns. But when we're conformed into the image of Christ, our heart, our mind, our soul, the individual self that Jesus died for is empowered to live in the fullness of what God has in store for each and every one of us. I came across the story of a man who lived in the wilderness of Alaska. He would come into the village routinely to pick up his necessities. And when he was there to make some extra money, he would race his two dogs and people would bet on him. (laughs) And every time he knew exactly which dog was going to win. And and one of his friends came up to him and he said, listen, I I, I just got to know, how do you know every time which dog is going to win? And the man's answer was brilliant. He said, "The one I feed is the one who wins." <laughs> Think about that. I, I believe in every one of our life are two dogs, <laughs> one that, that can lead to, to devastating places and one that can lead to the height of what God has for us. And part of what determines that is what we're feeding. If we feed this dog that, that's going to drag us down a path of, of destruction, then guess which way we're going to lead? Guess which one wins? But if we feed this, this dog that leads us to the glory that God has in store for us, then, then that's the way we're going to go. We need to watch what we're feeding. We need to watch the things we're doing. We need to, we need to watch what we're watching and listen to what we're listening to because the words matter. There's something about being in God's word and, and hearing who he is. The song we sang before I came up here, what a declaration of who God is. I don't know about you, but it stirred me. And it was one of those moments where I said, Lord God, please let me not get up there and cry like a baby, but, but tears were coming out. Why? because he is a way maker. And you know what? The word's filled of, of encouragement of who we are in him. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm deeply loved. My father will never forsake in me. And if you're in Christ, that's true of you too. And if you're not, he awaits for you to make that decision. What we put into our, into our mind feeds our soul and what feeds our soul allows us to understand what does it mean to put God first? Let me say this. I believe one of the reasons that we struggle to live in power is because we simply don't know who the God of power really is. Lord, help me learn who you are, that you would increase in me and I would decrease. It's important to realize that that in order to have God increase in our life, in order to have this blessing, of God on our life, we've gotta be in relationship with him. It starts with saying yes to Jesus. If you've never said yes to Jesus, that's the first step. Jesus, come into my life as Lord and Savior. And then as he comes into our life, what do we do? We grow in the knowledge of God. We invite the Holy Spirit to direct our steps. I say this quite a bit, but I think it's so important. What the church needs I'm gonna walk. It's not another marriage seminar. What what the church needs is really not another "you're okay" speech. What the church needs is to fall deeply in love with a God who loves them. Investing time in His Word. If you say, I have trouble reading, get it on, 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 on your phone. You can listen to it. It counts. It counts. Let the Word of God come into you. Let your soul digest it. And as you seek to master it, say, Oh, Spirit, would you master me? I can't help but think that that's the answer to broken relationships. That that's the answer to misdirected lives. It's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. It's not the strength of our faith, it's the object of our faith that turns us more and more like Jesus. Oh God, help me truly know you. Then really it's quite effortless to make him known because he's radiating from us. What steps are you taking to allow God to increase in your life? In just a moment, we're going to be taking part of a communion service. It's talking about this, this amazing work of Jesus. When Jesus says, I want to make a new covenant in my blood with you. Think about it. That, that this new covenant is based on us simply receiving Jesus' work for us as complete. Jesus said, I'll do all the heavy lifting in this. Just come to me and and believe. And walk with me. And I'm going to fill you with heavenly treasures. I'm going to give you peace and joy and fulfillment. As we pray and prepare our hearts for continuing worship and communion, I, I just... Once you know God loves you, you're valued by Him. He wants you to live a blessed life. Not as the world defines it, but as He defines it. So much greater. Not a life this side of paradise without chaos. A life so strengthened by God that it brings peace in the midst of chaos. Wherever you find yourself this morning, Won't you allow God to take your hand and take you on the next step with him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you love us so much that you didn't die for us and then just leave us. died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation, but you've given us this amazing helper, the Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us. And that's why you could say that you would never leave us or forsake us because your very spirit indwells us. God, teach us what it means to become less, that you would become more. Father, I pray for those here this morning who may be yet to make a decision to accept you as Lord and Savior and perhaps in the quietness of their own heart, even now they would receive you as the Lord and Savior of their life. God, thank you, but you didn't leave us to figure all this thing, this thing called life out on our own, but that you've given us your word and your spirit to, to allow your word to come into us and to not just conform us into the image of Christ, but to transform us to make us anew. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would not just learn to value you, but that we would embrace your loving touch of how much you value us. So that, Lord God, the world around us would know your love. Thank you for gathering us here this morning. Thank you for going with us as we scatter. May the truth of your word not just reign in us, but Lord God, may it, may it literally pour out of us into the relationships, into the situations we find ourselves in. For your glory, we breathe this. Our way maker, in Jesus' name, amen.